this week on Insight, the changing face of New Zealand sport. Sport's part of our national identity. It's in our DNA, right? But is the influx of Asian immigration changing the sporting landscape in New Zealand? Will rugby still be our most popular sport in 20 years' time, when, according to projections, nearly a quarter of the population will be made up of Asians? Insight explores how major sports are responding to this cultural change and the new life Asian sports are breathing into New Zealand's sporting scene. Generations of New Zealanders have grown up with the haka, with names like Lomu, Fitzpatrick and Hadley. And heading to the pitch, the field or the court has always been part of their Saturday morning. But what about those who aren't born here? Lawyer Mei Chen moved to New Zealand from Taiwan when she was six, when her father was brought out to train the New Zealand women's gymnastics team. She says the way that Asians approach sport is probably different from a lot of Kiwis. They think that you should take it seriously, so that you should be Lydia Ko and go professional. So if you're going to do a sport, you need to do it really excellently and succeed. Otherwise, you shouldn't do it at all. I mean, this thing where you just play sport for fun is probably a bit of an anathema to them because their view is that if you're not going to play sport seriously, then you should study. Uh, In the country I come from, If you sit the major exam and you don't do well, then that determines what profession you can have. Mei Chen also chairs the Super Diversity Centre for Law, Policy and Business. She says sport was an important aspect of her getting to know the local culture and understand how New Zealand society worked. You meet all sorts of people on the track and field. You may be in the A-stream at school, but who cares? Um, When you're in a sports field, what matters is whether or not you can sink a goal, whether you can block a shot, whether you can do a spike. And so, you know, I worry about um, these kids not being able to get out and also just have a bit of fun, get out in the sun. McLean's college student, Philip Zhang, whose parents were born in China, plays rugby for the first 15 and says it's helped him mix with other students. Maybe, I think, yeah. definitely with maybe my poly friends. Yeah. <laughs> Polynesian friends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, they'll be like, wow, there's an Asian on the team. But, yeah, you get the same respect. Sport New Zealand surveys show that those who identify as Asian participate in sport and recreation less than the average Kiwi. Its general manager of community sport, Jeff Barry, says more needs to be done to encourage migrant communities to get active. I look at sport and physical activity as a consumer product, and quite clearly we're not meeting the need. In some cases it's not culturally relevant. In some cases I've grown up in a culture in New Zealand where doing stuff was good, and increasingly our migrant community may not come from that type of culture, so we have to start to introduce them to the idea of why should you be physically active and how do you make it culturally relevant or how do you make it relevant to those communities. So there's quite a bit of learning that needs to be done. It's an issue that New Zealand's major sports codes are taking seriously. Steve Lancaster, the head of Provincial Union Rugby, says the union is realising it can't just keep doing what it's always done to get people into sport. You can't just say, you know, if you're living in New Zealand, then, you know, here's rugby and it's Tuesday night, Thursday night and give up half your Saturday because irrespective of ethnicity, people's lifestyles don't always accommodate that anymore. And so, you know, we're spending a lot of time trying to develop the insights now into uh, not just with emerging communities but with anyone that's not currently engaged in rugby 
well, what would look like an attractive uh, you know, sporting option for them with an oval ball? And it may not be rugby as we traditionally know it. I'm Bridget Tunnicliffe, and this RNZ Inside explores whether Asian migrants value New Zealand's sporting culture, and if they don't, should we be concerned? Sport New Zealand's Active New Zealand survey has been the main tool for measuring participation in sports and recreation activities for the past 20 years. It comes out every five years and includes participation in everything from rugby to less formal physical activities like walking and skateboarding. As we stroll around Wellington's Frankett's Park, Sport New Zealand's General Manager of Community Sport, Jeff Barry, tells me the country's traditional sports are holding their own, but there's so much more on offer now. It's not as easy as it used to be. There's much more in the market. When I grew up, you just sort of played rugby or cricket as a boy in school, whereas now you might have 100 options. I don't think you can just look at rugby numbers and say they're good or bad. They're holding their own, but there is a lot of pressure on them from, A, ethnicity changes, but also more opportunities. The stats show the ethnic group least likely to be getting into sport is our Asian community. So why is that? According to the 2013-2014 Active New Zealand survey, lack of time was the reason more likely to be mentioned by Asian participants than any others. That's something Dev Dingra, the secretary of the Papatoetoe Kabadi Club, can identify with. He moved to New Zealand in 2005, but really has time to play the popular Indian sport himself now. When you come as migrants, you all want to establish yourself, you work hard, you've got a family, then you get kids. And basically, and if I take my example, my wife's example, we came in and you know, in the last 13 years, there are very little opportunity or lesser opportunities I can think of where we went and played out. Because we've always been working and making sure that we establish the kids get education and you know, we are chasing the dream. Mei Chen has come a long way since arriving in the South Island, the youngest of four daughters. Now one of New Zealand's highest profile lawyers, she works on the top floor of a high-rise in Auckland CBD. Her family didn't have much when they arrived from Taiwan. Her father made a living training the New Zealand gymnastics team and working at the YMCA. She had a very active childhood. I played all sports. I captained um, most of the teams I was in. I also did gymnastics and I did it competitively. I had a beam in my room, you know, a gymnastics beam in my bedroom. So, you know, I'd work for an hour, um, I'd study for an hour and then I'd get up and do my routine on my beam. I had a gymnastics bar outside my window, so I used to crawl out my window and swing on the bar. I played basketball competitively, I played netball competitively, track and field. I think I'm still the under-12 high jump champion record holder uh, for Southland. It just was a big part of my life. You know, when I wasn't studying, I was I was running or I was playing a sport. She says playing sports like netball made her feel like she fitted in. I learned a lot of English um, in the sports field and it was it was the one area where I could excel. Uh, even when we first came to New Zealand, there was a lot of teasing, um, but not when I was on the sports field because I could beat them. Did it give you instant street cred? It did. It gave me instant street cred. It made me a bit cool. And, uh, and so I was really fortunate in that respect. I played every sport and, um, and I loved being out, out there. So in that respect, I think coming to New Zealand suited me a lot. When she was young, her dream was to be a full-time gymnast, but for her father, education was a priority. 
My father refused to train me. He refused. He said, you are not to do this career. He said, um, I want you to be a professional um, because there isn't sufficient respect or money or status in this profession. And that broke my heart. I wanted him to train me. He never trained me. He refused to. He wouldn't watch me. He wouldn't train me. Uh, He'd train everybody else, but he wouldn't train me. Auckland's Maclean's College has one of the largest Asian roles in the country. Football is popular at the school, as is basketball, where they've had to cap numbers because they don't have the gym space. Walking down the corridor, music drifts from a classroom. A group of young people of Asian descent are playing instruments with expert precision. Many of the young Asian people I speak to say their parents consider music to be a more acceptable extracurricular pursuit than sport. Half of the school is made up of Asian students, and it's no surprise it has a healthy music department. Sally Fu, whose parents were born in Hong Kong, used to play an instrument. Then I stopped because of badminton, because it just took over. Yeah. Your parents didn't mind? Uh, we had a bit of conflict, but then they got used to it, and then they supported me with badminton more. Yeah. Have they ever been concerned that the badminton will take you away from the study? Yeah, they have, but I just have to get organised and just sort everything out myself. The 17-year-old is ranked number one in New Zealand women's badminton and is aiming to play in the Commonwealth Games next year. Kamal Singh is the king of track and field at McLean's. He specialises in the long jump and is currently ranked third in the 100 metres for under-18s. The 17-year-old, whose parents were born in India, has been able to pursue his sporting dreams. I want to take it as far as I can. I'm currently aiming for World Juniors next year, so kind of building towards that at the moment. How do your parents feel about it? They're really supportive about it, but they kind of want to make sure that I'm studying as well, so I kind of balance it out. Talent Kwok moved to New Zealand from Hong Kong when he was 11. A couple of years ago, he started playing rugby. Now 15, he's already playing in the school's second 15 after knowing nothing about the game. Uh, I don't even know there's a sport called rugby when I was in Hong Kong. Were there any language difficulties when you first started playing? Uh, yes, I couldn't speak English when I first playing, and then I don't know what to do. Were people patient? Oh uh, Yeah, they are. They are really nice to me. And what do your parents think about you playing rugby? Uh, they don't really care. <laughs> <laughs> Is there something they would rather you be doing? They want me to play piano more than sport, yeah, okay. and study more. Do your parents come and watch your, you play? Uh, no, they don't. Uh, they just want to sleep. <laughs> Philip Zhang is a member of the First 15. The 15-year-old's parents were born in China, and he says they don't understand the game. Nah, not at all. <laughs> what do they think of you playing? Um, to be honest, they actually don't really want me to uh, play. Yeah. They just think it's... Too violent? Yeah. I want to keep playing until year 13, but they want me to quit. Yeah. They're a bit worried about the contact. Yeah. What about, do they want you to study more? Yeah, yeah. Asian parents. <laughs> While migrant parents may consider schoolwork the key to securing a successful future for their child, Mei Chen says sports set her up well for both her personal and professional life. That was my acculturation. I learnt my leadership skills there. I learnt how one was supposed to work as a team. I learnt Kiwi culture. Prior to that, I, I, you know, I didn't know any Kiwi culture. I mean, sport 
was huge for me, and it remains that way. I mean, in between my busy schedule, I just dashed out to yoga and back. You know, for me, uh, it orients me. And from my perspective, the reason why I'm able to work so hard and concentrate so well is because I'm very fit. Coordinating sport for thousands of high school students around Auckland is a huge operation. The Trust, College Sport Auckland, offers 40 sports across the greater Auckland area. Its chief executive, Jim Lonergan, shows me the phone app that students can use to get the latest information. So if you get a cancellation, it goes straight to you. So if a field's closed... Jim Lonergan says badminton and table tennis are the two sports dominated by Asian students, while others are on the rise. Swimming, football and basketball are three uh, sports. Basketball would be the big growth sport for Asian students that we've found. He says academic ambitions are also driving some top Asian students to get involved in sport in order to achieve well-balanced CVs. Particularly at the high decile schools, a lot of the top Asian students are more and more all-rounders. They're very good academically, but they're very aware they want to go on to top universities around the world. And because of that, they are getting involved in it. A range of activities, including sport. The New Zealand Secondary School Sports Council says in schools where there are significant numbers of Asian refugee students, futsal, a five-a-side version of football, which is played on a hard court, is increasing in popularity. However, getting newer New Zealanders into the country's traditional sports is proving a challenge. Rugby has long been regarded as the national game. But it's taken a hit in Auckland, where in three years' time, one in three people will be Asian. A 2014 joint survey between Auckland Council and Sport New Zealand showed rugby sits just 20th on the list of sports participated in by Aucklanders. May Chen says our traditional sports will suffer if they don't connect better with Asian communities. They will not have a pipeline because they won't have young kids going in at a sufficiently early age to get really good at it. There's going to be problems with um, contributions, there's going to be problems with volunteers, and and as these people grow older, they don't play these sports, they're not going to contribute to them, they're going to be less interested in them, and they're going to have their own um, sporting venues and their own sports of choice that they prefer. One of its strategic focus areas is to make rugby the sport of choice in Auckland. And in 2015, a wider Auckland strategy manager was appointed. Steve Lancaster, the head of Provincial Union Rugby, says their research tells them that people from Asian communities don't gravitate towards collision sports like boxing or some forms of football. That comes down to perceptions and understanding. You know, and it's, again, you could talk across any ethnicities, but parents will be the decision makers on what, what sports their children play. And if they see rugby as being a sport that has a high risk of injury or high levels of contact which they don't naturally gravitate to, then it's unlikely they're going to want their children to play. And hence it's incumbent on us to develop alternative forms of the game that don't involve some of those traits. He says they are working on creating different versions of the game like ripper rugby, which is non-contact. Steve Lancaster says rugby has to actively engage with new communities. People come to rugby traditionally because someone in their family has been involved in rugby, so it's sort of a natural New Zealand thing that your dad played rugby at school or was a member of the local club, and so then the children get introduced to rugby through their parents' involvement. 
and it's a self-sustaining model. What we're finding with new communities, particularly you know, the Chinese community, the Indian community, is they don't have that family association with rugby, and so there isn't a natural introduction to the sport for them. And that's really challenging us to identify different ways that we can introduce families to rugby. How much of a breakthrough would it be to have an Asian and the All Blacks in the next 10 years? I think it would be huge. You know, The All Blacks have such a high profile. There's no doubt that would raise the profile of rugby in those communities and we've seen that in other sports and in other countries you know you have a breakthrough athlete that um, you know creates a whole lot of hype and, and interest in a sport but if we don't get the, the offering right at the community level that that would be a blip you know it, you know if we raise awareness through whatever means for people to want to be involved with or participate in the sport we then have to have something that we can offer them Bruce Stanley, the head of Community Netball, shows me around Netball New Zealand's head office in Parnell. Netball has a proud history in New Zealand and her job is to make sure it stays that way by keeping the sport strong at the grassroots level. What we're finding in that junior space is where the most um, increase in participation is happening for the Asian population. And I think that's because netball's so strong in schools that young Asian girls are, are looking at how they might want to assimilate into New Zealand society and gives them the opportunity to have something quite structured that they can do with their peers. Wanting to encourage as many people to participate as possible, last year Netball New Zealand updated its regulations and added inclusivity recommendations. Netball centres are now able to give dispensation for players to wear long sleeves and tights for cultural reasons. Ruth Stanley says netball centres have found that time is a big factor for Asian kids in particular. Some of their research tells them that you know kids are really busy after school in the Asian population particularly they're doing after school tutoring in English and, and after school tutoring in music so it's around finding a time that better suits the needs of participants. She says some of the centres have started advertising in Chinese newspapers to get the word out. As the guardians of New Zealand's sporting system from grassroots through to elite levels what is Sport New Zealand's role in encouraging more Asian New Zealanders into physical activity? Jeff Barry says understanding the needs of different communities is the first step, and they've done some research to try to find out. It's more about going, you know, what are those games where there's some relevance and Indian women are, are not unique to Samoan women in lots of cases. You know, they'll do it around their family. They need to have it culturally relevant. Uh, it needs it to be at a time and a cost structure that's affordable to them. So it's more about understanding why they are or why they're not in this case and then how you make it relevant to them. When you see your stats telling you, oh, Babington's growing strongly, table tennis is growing strongly, do you sort of intervene and go, oh, we should give those sports more funding, or do you just sort of let things happen by osmosis? I wouldn't dare say it happens by osmosis. We are exercising leadership in that space, so our most important tool that we can add to the sector is the intelligence. The more knowledge that we can share with Rugby Union, the survey data that we have, the more stuff that we can share, the better. The next part of that... We've just completed recently an investment cycle. We've certainly put a massive amount of investment into Auckland with a, we call them low participant communities, Asian as a focus. And we've also heightened our investment in sports like badminton, which has an Asian focus on it. So we've definitely moved invest, investment to where areas are of need and where we think we can get growth.
When you've got a sport like kabaddi, which is really taking off in Auckland right now, if you're Auckland City Council, you've been supplying cricket fields for decades, but at any given time you can only have 13 people on a, a massive cricket field. When you've got kabaddi, you could fit maybe 10 kabaddi games and you're getting more bang for your buck. Is that something that Auckland City Council's grappling with right now in terms of sharing resources? Oh, very much so. And the nature of how you make turf available 24-7, so increasingly you're starting to see multi-use turfs being developed, and I guess understanding the dynamics and going with the market. There's tension with cricket, clearly, because they don't want to lose their pitches, but also the council's then looking at how you create other opportunities. According to a recent Statistics New Zealand ethnic population projection, the broad Asian group is set to increase from 12 to 22% of the population by 2038. The Chinese and Indian populations are expected to double in 20 years. Jeff Barry says the fast-changing pace of society and changing demographics means it's difficult to predict what sports will be popular in the future. Clearly we'd like to think that, given the numbers and how long rugby's been prominent, rugby is going to be part of our culture and will continue to play. People will continue to play cricket. But the fact that you know kids now have hundreds of options, we don't know what the next floorball is, we don't know what the next futsal is. People are now adapting games. You know, hockey may or may not be relevant in 20 years' time, but there'll be adaptations of that. So we probably know that the most important thing is to stay relevant, to stay current. You know, we get a new iPhone every six months, don't we? So understanding how we adapt the sport offering, um, and some of it may shift quite a, a bit the traditional nature. We might want see a very different game of rugby for kids in 10 years' time than what they currently play. To keep up with the quickly changing sporting scene, it's moved from surveying every five years to every year to keep ahead of sporting trends. If you continue to look at Sport New Zealand statistics, it also shows that Asian boys and girls showed a strong interest in trying new sport and recreation activities. So what is stopping them from participating? For those who have recently arrived, just know where to go, how to fill out forms and signing up could be daunting. But there is an initiative that's trying to address that. (laughs) It's a Saturday afternoon at Birkenhead College on Auckland's North Shore, and a group of Filipinos have shown up for a weekly sports session. It's run by a couple of Filipino volunteers and supported by Harbour Sport. The Regional Sports Trust launched a project called Active Asian in 2009 to encourage more Asians to participate in and run some of their own programs. Volunteer James Villuaneva says it's also an important social network. These um, kids that um, do come in, um, I do know that a lot of them are uh, moving towards university. Some of them are from university moving to work. And when we talk to a lot of people, uh, a lot of them, adults that come here as well as play, they they do have backgrounds in hospitality, healthcare, and they they do give advice to the younger um, generation. So that, that definitely helps a lot. They play volleyball and basketball one week and then table tennis and badminton the next. Richard Aquino says sometimes it's just easier playing with compatriots. This is the first time I went here. I've been playing with people of different nationalities. So that was difficult to adjust in terms of the level of play, especially communication. But um, playing in a club like a Filipino club is easier because we have the same um, terminologies, you know, the same style of play. Kabaddi is one of the fastest growing sports in Auckland. The ancient Indian sport is a curiosity to outsiders who don't understand the holding of hands or the chanting of kabaddi. 
The BBC quiz show QI had fun trying to pin down the idea of the sport, which holds similarities to New Zealand's schoolyard game Bull Rush. And the other team, they're usually linking up, yeah. and they've got to try and touch him. But if he touches them... It's, that's basically that, it. It's British tag. Bulldog. It's sort of like British Bulldog and tag. Yeah. Well, it, it's very much kabaddi, OK? I won't have this <laughs> imperialist conquest of our sport. In New Zealand, the circle style of kabaddi is played. There are two teams of seven players, and you are either a stopper or a raider. In 2013, the Papa Sports and Community Charitable Trust formally adopted the Papa Kabaddi Club as the 11th community group to be based at the Papa Sports Centre. Dev Dingra says it was significant. This is the only club which is outside of a temple space. Uh, so this was a great opportunity and the board listened to us and gave us the opportunity to have a neutral place where all... You know, people from different nationalities can see the game and come and play together. It's very important to have a central location. Does it help you remain connected to your Indian community? Is it, it is. important socially? It is important socially because when we have a game, you know, we had we had a tournament in April here, and a lot of people. This this ground was full of people, with you know, guys, ladies, a lot of elderly people also come in and enjoy the game. So obviously, it is a connection which connects all different age groups together. He says they are also getting a lot of inquiries from all different nationalities interested in trying the game. Pacific Islanders, Maoris, Kiwi guys who want to know about the game, these guys can come and see and if they want to play, they come and play with us. So it's as open as that. Anyone can walk in, anyone can come and play. And who's to say that the sports that Asian immigrants are bringing to New Zealand won't in turn be picked up by Kiwis? A friend of Dev Dingra coaches the New Zealand women's kabaddi team, but you won't find any Indian women in it. Elizabeth Mortu is the captain. 99% of the team is Māori. If they're not Māori, well, then um, they've been in that environment with um, previous teams that you know that, that uh, play a lot with Māori. Yeah, it's definitely got a, a Māori culture to the team, um, and that's what we, um, we, we focus mainly on that, um, especially when we're travelling as well with customs and stuff like that. So how did a bunch of Māori women get involved in kabaddi? Mortu, as she's known on the field, says four years ago the Indian coach approached a local marae asking if any girls would be interested in playing the sport. From there, it went through the grapevine. A group of mates of mine, close mates, um, they were looking um, to build a team, a New Zealand team. Yeah, so it all started from there. Um, they sort of looked up the, the game itself um, via YouTube. Um, so what they done is they um, got a group of girls to meet up um, have a talk about the, the game itself. I decided to have a trial, uh, and then from there, um, we built a team. Before long, Mortu found herself being announced to a packed stadium in India for the final of the World Cup. They came runners-up to the hosts in 2013. They've been to two more World Cups, finishing second again and third. The 31-year-old says her background in rugby gave her a good foundation for kabaddi. Mortu is an attacker or a raider, as it's known. 
I can't even explain how, what the um, excitement is uh, when playing a game. It's just a, another level. It's like beyond butterflies, mm. um, shaking legs. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of pressure because it's a it's a one-on-one sport when the Raiders going out to um, raid against the stoppers. Mortu says they want to build on what they've achieved at international level and maybe implement it into schools so they can build a better foundation. Dez's eyes light up at the thought of a New Zealand men's team made up of his compatriots and Kiwis brought up on a diet of rugby. If we build a male New Zealand team with the big Maori guys, we can be number one in the world because our guys have a lot of strength and obviously rugby has, a, has got a lot of rules as well in terms of tackling and all that. But let's say an ideal New Zealand team will be a mix of Maori and Indian boys together. I'm Bridget Tunnicliffe, and that's Insight for this week. If you'd like to get in touch or share your thoughts on this programme, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at insight at radionz.co.nz or our Twitter handle is at insightrnz. That programme was produced by me, Teresa Cowie, with technical production by Phil Bench. And if you'd like to podcast other Insight programmes, head to our iTunes page. We can listen, subscribe, rate and review us, or visit the Insight webpage, radionz.co.nz slash insight. Thanks for listening. Ka kite anō. Thank you.